Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. to talk about service experience. Yes. But first, the personal question. Aye, yes, bring it on. <laughs> uh, your favorite city in the world? Oh, my favorite city in the world. Well, I've been to a lot of them thanks to traveling uh, for work. So I've been to Berlin, I've been to Lisbon, I've been to Tokyo even, yeah. Montreal. Uh, but thinking about it, I'm afraid I have to make a choice for a very tiny, I'm not even sure if it's a city, maybe it's a village. In the Netherlands, wow. which is called Egmond aan Zee, Egmond at the beach. And that's a beautiful, it's like one hour and 45 minute drive from my home. But I go there like once a quarter, just have some solo time, reflect, walk at the, be- at the beach, whether it's sunny or rainy, doesn't matter. Just, you know, have some me time. So, yeah. Nice. I think when launching this podcast, Egmond will be very busy. <laughs> no, please don't come to Egmond on Mars because it's a really nice, calm location. <laughs> All right, let's go to a service experience. Yes. Hit the road. Um, so the first thing is the scope, of course. So what mm-hmm. are we talking about? So if you remember the five types of experience, brand, customer, employee, service, and user experience. Um, and service experience is, as we say before, it's not, let's say, the ultimate definition or the truth, Mm -hmm. but it's just a version that for us really works well when we talk with companies. So we scope service experience as the human channels. Yeah. So I call, I email, or I chat, um, just because it helps, right? In, in practice, you see that the colleagues from the digital team, they are doing CX, Uh, the call center is doing CX. So it's not that it's not, uh, correct, uh, but it's just not helpful. That's why we say a service experience is defined. We define it as the the human channels. Yeah. And also WhatsApp, right? Also WhatsApp. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, I think when we look at service experience, you have two perspectives. Yeah. So one of the reasons that I um, wrote the book was the book book, I wrote. The book. The the holy Bible. (laughs) only one book. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Uh, In 2015, it was exactly this perspective. Mm -hmm. So how can you, uh, on one hand, increase the experience or the net promoter score or any other metric? That's one end. And the other end is, okay, but how do I manage all these contacts coming in and how do I prevent them? Uh, So both perspectives are uh, crucial if you really want to enhance the level of service experience. And um, let's say the name in Dutch is pretty nice if I say so myself, (laughs) but in English it's really bad. So in Dutch, it's Klant Signaal Management. That's the name of the methodology, which literally translates as Customer Signals Management. Super sexy. Super sexy. (laughs) So for the English version of the book, we flip the subtitle and the main title around. So it's in the driving seat of customer experience. So if you want to deep dive, then there you see the the two perspectives more in detail, because we'll be trying to keep this podcast (laughs) less than, (laughs) let's say, 40 minutes maximum. Uh, so the two perspectives are satisfaction on one hand and then managing prevention of customer contact on the other hand. All right. Um, can you uh, tell a little bit more about that? 
So when you look at, let's say, the satisfaction side of things, uh, how do we measure the experience, um, then you still have three key metrics mm -hmm. in CX and, of course, also in service experience. So it's satisfaction, the net promoter score, or the customer effort score. Yep. And I see almost every company measuring what's called a transactional net promoter score. So you have the relational NPS, which is also often called the brand NPS, mm -hmm. Which is just a question: Would you recommend Company X? Yeah, you measure that, let's say, once a year across a generic sample of your uh, existing clients. And a transactional MPS is asking the MPS after uh, something happened. For example, I call, and then the MPS would be based on this call. Would you recommend? Blah, blah. Well, that transactional MPS, I think, is a very um, unuseful way of using the NPS because you see that it fluctuates. Normally, like Q1, it's plus 20, then it's minus 10 yeah. without any explanation. Yeah, you don't know why. You don't know why. And also, it's it's just a transaction. And for me to recommend the company, there's much more going on in my uh, reflection than just this you know, moment on the website or yeah. just this moment calling. Yeah. So I would not advise to use uh, the Net Promoter Score. Then in 2013, the Customer Effort Score, that book was launched. And I have to admit, when I first... Um, received the book and, and wrote uh, not wrote about it uh, read about it <laughs> later I wrote about it uh, in blogs uh, my first response was yes finally an amazing alternative for the NPS because I'm not a super fan of the net promoter score and intuitively it makes super sense right the ease of doing things which is the essence not too much effort that's why it's yeah. the customer effort score that's a super intuitive metric and there was an article in the Harvard Business Review that had found that when they compared the NPS satisfaction and the customer effort score, and what was had the biggest correlation with, let's say, future sales, mm -hmm. by far the customer effort score scored the best. So at that point uh, in time, I was working for an insurance company in the Netherlands, uh, and both my manager and I, we felt, hey, this is really amazing, because both of us were not really a fan of NPS. But stubborn as we were, we said, okay, Let's see if we can reproduce the Harvard Business Review because you know, nice. it's just the Harvard <laughs> Business Review. Um, so we uh, tried to uh, replicate the analysis and we found something completely the opposite. So the customer effort score was the worst predictor and satisfaction and NPS were really close together. Mm. Uh, so then we said, um, sorry, the yeah, satisfaction yeah. NPS. So then we said, because we're not a fan of NPS, we keep on using uh, satisfaction. But we add the ease of doing things. For example, it was easy to find a number. It was easy to get a, an answer to my question. We added that to the survey because it is a, a, a driver of satisfaction. It's just not an end metric. Yeah, exactly. So the customer effort score is more the end metric for UX, but not for service experience. Yeah. And then you want to make sure that for each channel, so for call, for email, for... WhatsApp, for example, that you have this short survey to figure out, okay, what has the biggest impact? Is it the waiting time? Is it this super annoying IVR choice, press one for this, press two for that? Is it the employee? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times we're steering on the super transactional stuff. Yeah. While what we saw, because these drivers, especially for call, Donna, so I had to do them for my PhD. So the, the, the call center was the scope of my PhD. So that's where I developed the survey. But after that, we validated it across different organizations, different sectors. 
Um, and every time the, the impact was relatively, relatively the same. So you see that the number one by far is the employee, listens well, uh, asks the right question, and things like the waiting time and um, opening hours, they are at the bottom. Yeah. And normally when it comes to journeys, we always say make sure that you build the survey from scratch because each journey is unique for each company. But with these channel surveys we've said, and we are, we've, let's say, open sourced them, right? So they are available. Just send me an email if you want to receive them. Where we said, okay, these top 10 questions, they've been proven so many times to be the top 10 questions for call email. And now we've also got one for, for NAP. Yeah. Uh, that you can use them and uh, just see how they drive your satisfaction in your own organization. Get in this driver's seat. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I would try to use it, <laughs> but I don't have the sounds with me. <laughs> All right, nice. Uh, and I think there's a bridge between this um, uh, this one perspective you were talking about now and the perspective of uh, unnecessary context, right? Indeed so. So what we discovered, so uh, a few years ago, I was responsible for um, reducing the context the contacts in an organization and the number of calls, the number of emails. Um, but I didn't want to do that by, for example, you know, just having the the phone number tucked away somewhere deep in the website. I want to, I wanted to prove that by improving the experience yeah. that you could also reduce unnecessary contacts. And you did, right? And we did. So yeah. in three years time, we um, re reduced the cost by on top of my head. I think it was two or 3 million while we increase the satisfaction of our customers. And that's what you often see in, in, in call centers, in contact centers, there's a lot of win-win between happier customers and less unnecessary contacts. Why? Because one of the questions we added, um, when, when you start uh, thinking about how can we become cheaper, so to speak, the first question is, what's the potential? Yep. That was also the question that I got. I said, I don't know. Let's ask customers. So we added a question to the survey, and that's also part of the standard top 10 that we just mentioned. We added the question, dear customer, do you think we could have prevented this contact? And well, I think you already know, but what would you guess? What percentage of customers would, <laughs> would say yes? Uh, 10%. <laughs> Miranda is now faking the <laughs> correct answer. <laughs> Yeah, so we saw often between 20 and 30% yeah. of customers are saying, yes, it could have been prevented. It's a lot, right? And it's That's really simple. It's just what, just one question to exactly. all your customers. Yeah, Yeah, and then you have a super fast... Um, so two things happen. One, you have this uh, data-driven answer to this is the potential. Yeah, It's a win-win because for that 30% of the customers, they didn't want to have to call. Exactly. So if you prevent that, they are also happier. And you have a perfect way of building a super fast business case. So um, often when I say in CX, when people uh, want to have a business case, no, let me rephrase. I think 10, 15 years ago, the question for CX and also service experience was, okay, how much money will it save us? More revenue or more costs? Now, 10, 15 years later, that's not so much the question. Everybody is convinced, okay, it has financial impact yeah. because there's a lot of proof already. But now the question is, okay, but how do I do this? Um, and those 10, 15 years ago, I was making business cases by um, calculating the churn or retention of customers. 
you know, what's sort of the lifetime value of a customer, what's your current churn, let's assume we reduce it by X percent, which means pff, amount X. And that amount was always super high. But it was also a long list of assumptions in all those percentages. And the people that were not really convinced, well, they were definitely not convinced <laughs> with the business case with that many assumptions. So I sort of switched and I said, okay, I'm not going to do that kind of business case, but I'm going to use those contacts. And now if you want to do a super fast business case, you ask, okay, on a yearly basis, how many calls do we get? How many emails? How many complaints? How many chats? Whatever channel you have, how many enter the shop, for example, if you still have a physical uh, store. And then you calculate, uh, okay, so let's say a call is 10 hours, uh, sorry, it's 10 euros per call, email is, I don't know, 50 euros. So then you have a full amount. If I have 1 million calls a year, the costs are 10 million, for example. And then you can do two things. Either you can say, okay, we have 10 million calls a year. Do you think, dear management, that we are able to reduce 5% of the calls. Well, everybody will say yes. Yeah. Which means at 10 million, that let me calculate quickly, <laughs> with 5%, you have at least 500,000 euros budget. And you don't need 500,000 euros budget for your exactly. CX program or service experience program. Uh, but then, so 5% is an easy, everybody will say yes. But then if still people feel, mm, we're not sure if 5% is feasible, just add that question to your survey. Yeah. And then you have 20 or 30% of your 10 million budget. Exactly. And then we're talking two or three million, which you never need. So this is one that really works well because almost any company can easily figure out, okay, this is the number of calls per year. If they don't know what the costs of a call are, there are enough benchmarks you can use. So let's say within, I don't know, a day, you have a really quickly, you have a very much more sustainable business case than the one with all the assumptions about churn, et cetera. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Works really well. So um, um, uh, let's go to uh, the journeys. Yes. So when you look at the prevention of contacts, a so business case is step one. So yep. then you have the idea, okay, I can prevent between, I don't know, 20 or 30% of the goals. But then of course the question becomes how? So what we did in this survey is we also, with the question, uh, dear customer, do you think we could have prevented this? We have an open question if they say yes, okay, you know, can you give us some like uh, why or how could we have prevented it? So that gives you some direction. Uh, but of course, the, the most beautiful source of this is your registration of calls. Mm -hmm. uh, what are the call reasons? And um, the call reason will give you the topic, but it will not give you the cause of why people are calling. And so we had here also an example. We got a lot of calls about... Um, say the price you need to pay for your uh, insurance. And what we saw is that whenever people changed the insurance or they canceled it, we got a lot of questions. And then we said, okay, let's analyze the journey to see where things are going wrong. And at that time we had a trainee and that trainee had a very smart idea. And he said, okay, let me just analyze 100 cases, mm -hmm. literally, uh, and see what <laughs> happened and what he discovered. So you have, of course, you do something on the website where you change it. Then you call the call center. You have the back office that will send you a letter. Hey, Miranda, you have canceled it. Uh, this is the amount that you either receive or you still need to pay. And you have the finance department doing something with that pay. And what he discovered 
when looking at those 100 uh, cases, was it an 8080, not 18? <laughs> <laughs> the amount that was in the letter from the back office was not the amount that was the one that the financial department either gave back to you or um, asked for you to pay. Interesting. Very interesting for two reasons, because one, and it was maybe like two or three cents sometimes, but it was different. So you think, okay, why is it different, right? Mm -hmm. You start, so you, you call. Uh, but it was also interesting because if you would have gone to each department separately, then you would have had 100 letters. Okay, the letter maybe is not super clear, but seems okay. You go to the financial department separately, you think, okay, they're just, you know, asking an amount of money, so it's all good. Yeah. So only when you take the journey and you compare the back office letter to what the financial department does, that's when you discover, oops, yeah, now I understand why people are calling so much. Yeah. Uh, and it was because there were some calculations between the moment of cancelling and the financial department. So it was not they were not doing anything illegal. Let me just <laughs> make that very clear. <laughs> but then by making sure that that's the same or that the calculations are done before sending the letter, well, that's how you can reduce the calls. But you would have never discovered this if you didn't analyze the journey of customers. Yeah, nice one. Um, and there is a pitfall, right, when you uh, look at the uh, look at um, the number of calls. Yeah. So what I see a lot of companies uh, do. So when you look also between the link between service experience and customer experience, um, many organizations that have a big call center have sort of let's say a tunnel vision about calls, and they are managing the calls and they want to uh, make sure that it's a it's a perfect experience. Um, but then when you ask, when I ask them, okay, but how many, what's the percentage of customers? So not the number of calls, but the number of customers that is calling you on average in a year. And then often organizations are pretty shocked that that percentage is relatively low. So for example, 20% is not a, a strange number, mm -hmm. which means that for 20%, uh, you can enhance the experience by having a perfect call center experience. Yeah. But 80% of your customers, you're not enhancing their brand or whatever experience by having a fantastic call center because they're not calling you. And just uh, that awareness as to how big is the slice of service experience, for example, is a really crucial perspective. And every time I see people that are uh, working in the call center, they, they constantly tend to fall into the trap of looking at it from contacts and yeah. not so much from customer. And you need both, right? It's not that the context is the wrong one you just need to have both perspectives yeah exactly also when you are going to uh, brainstorm with agents the perspective is really different right yeah so whenever uh, so when you have those call reasons and you want to understand okay what's going wrong sort of the natural idea is hey let's do a brainstorm with agents to see what we can improve uh, but for them it's very very difficult to think outside of their daily work mm -hmm. So also, for example, when in one day they have three calls about, um, I don't know, complaints about the logging into the website, they will tell you, oh my God, we get so many calls about the website. Yeah. Well, if the rest of the week or the month they don't get the calls, it could be maybe like 1% of your calls. So what I've seen with, uh, with agents, what's really useful is to work together to see, okay, what's the quality of the registration? So in most uh, call centers will also recognize it, that the quality of registration is a challenge because, for example, when you have a KPI on a percentage of registration of agents, well, they will always make that KPI because, you know, they can just click anywhere, 
right? So the percentage is fine, but how do you know for sure that the quality of the registration is is okay? And what I tend to see is that almost um, that a lot of organizations don't sort of give feedback to the agents where they share on a monthly basis, hey, this is the top 10 of calls, or this is what we're doing with the calls. Yeah. So for them, yeah, whatever, I register, it doesn't really matter because I have no clue how it's being used. Yeah, you have a nice example, right? Because you wanted to use it. Exactly. So yeah, two nice examples. That nice <coughs> example was um, that you mentioned was that at one point, so we wanted to discover, okay, how is the quality of the registration? And at one point, what we want to do, because we were in this transition to do things more digitally, so marketing had a very cool idea where they said, okay, based on the registration, so based on the reason why the customer calls, let's send them an automated email how they can do this thing online the next time. I don't know. For example, they called about wanting to see their insurance policy. I'm just making it up. So then you get automatically an email. Hey, Miranda, thanks for calling last week. By the way, next time, this is where you can also do it online. Yeah. So when we shared that automated, which is the crucial word in this sentence, <laughs> automated sending of emails to the agents, they said, uh, no. <laughs> maybe that's not the best idea <coughs> because the quality is not the best. And a very pragmatic, fast solution to test the quality, to assess it. Uh, a lot of call centers record the audios so for mm -hmm. compliance reasons, for example. Yeah. So what we did, we just made a selection of 500 recordings of, let's say, the top four uh, registration topics, the mm -hmm. top four call reasons. We selected 10 uh, agents. We were all together just in one room. We split it and we listened to it in duos and we just um, checked for each call, okay, what's the topic? Yeah. And then within two hours, we were done with all those calls and it was super clear, okay, the number one call reason is sort of the garbage can, <laughs> <laughs> but number two, three, and four, they are really accurate. So we just, you know, divided number one in a percentage over the rest. And then you have a very good indication. And of course, then we started, started sharing with the agents what we were actually going to do with their registration, which of course helped for them to understand why it was important to yeah, exactly. register the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I like it. All right. I'm happy that you <laughs> like it. <laughs> I think that's it, right? Did we forget anything? Um, <clears throat> let me think. Let me think. No, I think... Um, yeah, I think this is a service experience, I think is sort of this beautiful marriage of, let's say, journey management to prevent calls yeah. and just being responsible for the channel to maximize the experience of handling that contact in the best possible way. Yeah. So I think that's where CX marketing, but also back office that it really can work together again, using journey as the, the main tool yeah. uh, to really see the effect in the call center. And um, uh, we talked about your book. Yeah. Um, I think it's nice to say uh, we have uh, a little... Drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. Uh, how do you say it? Not contest, but uh, surprise at the end of the year. Yes. Yeah. So a tiny if, gift. If you want to read it, you can, you can uh, find it online, but you can also wait till December. Yes. So we have, a, we have a tiny Christmas present around the book by the end of this year. So... Uh, We'll be more sharing that about uh, sharing about that idea <laughs> on LinkedIn and the newsletter. So this is a tiny cliffhanger for you, the podcast, the podcast listener. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Ciao. Ciao. Ciao.